You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Peter Newman, and we've got some topical issues that we're going to cover today. We're going to be chatting with a farmer, Jamie Phyllis, from Ungara in the Lower Eyre Peninsula about his farming system. He's using a stripper front and also a chaff deck as well as a draper front with his chaff deck, so we'll find out about how that all works. And then a bit later in the podcast, we'll be speaking with grain storage specialist, Philip Burrell, about correct grain storage tactics. Pete, how are you going? Yeah, very well, Jess. How are you? I'm good. And yeah, we're in the thick of harvest now and we've got a few exciting things planned over the next few weeks, hopefully. I'm hope- I'm hoping, Pete, to get out and actually speak to some people on harvesters who have different weed seed impact mills. So fingers crossed that it all works out, but I think that'll be a really interesting thing for our last podcast of the year, which is in a, yeah, not long away now, a few weeks away, really. Oh, pressure's on. You've got to do it now, Jess. <laughs> I know. I've commi- I'm committing to it. <laughs> I had a really good chat with Ray Harrington this morning actually who's got the vertical Harrington seed destructor on his machine and and he was loving it it's going really well and yeah uh, I think they're going pretty well out there so it'll be good to just sort of get the big wrap up from around the place and hopefully find that a lot of the seed impact mills have had uh, that good reliable harvest that farmers are waiting to hear about and a lot of people ready to jump into that technology. That's definitely the plan and in the same vein we're hearing from Jamie Phyllis today on the podcast about his farming system where he's using a chaff deck in combination with both his shellborn stripper front and draper front. Pete what's the benefits of this kind of system? Well, I just love the strip and disc system, Jess. I learned a lot about it from Greg Condon, who works with us with RE and Weedsmart, and uh, and having visited people in his part of the world and seeing what it can do for moisture retention and the water use efficiencies people are getting with that system, it's really quite phenomenal. I really think it's going to be an amazing system in the future. And then, of course, when people are using stripper fronts, it's a completely different machine for harvesting a crop. There's all the questions around, can you you pick up weed seeds with it and and all of the other things that go with leaving that long residue but really encouraging to hear that farmers that are using that system are also using harvest weed seed control and are really having a win with their weed control Jess so yeah there's a lot to learn in that system but certainly very exciting space. Yeah we're going to take a listen to Jamie's interview and then we're going to wrap up a few of the points that he makes in there uh, at the end so let's take a listen Pete. Today we're chatting with grower Jamie Phyllis from Ungara in the Lower Eyre Peninsula in South Australia about his farming system and approach to harvest. He's running a Shelbourne stripper front for cereals and a draper front for other crops and he's also using a chaff deck in combination with both of these fronts so we'll find out about that. So this is his second year using the system and he combines his harvest weed seed control tactics with a disc seeder on narrow rows at 7.5 inches. And if you do recognise Jamie's name it might be because he's also the treasurer of Sanford. So we welcome Jamie to the podcast. How are you going, Jamie? Yeah, well, thanks, Jess. Thanks so much for joining us. Firstly, can you just give us a little bit more of an overview of your farming system, including what you farm? We crop about 1,750 hectares or nearly 4,500 acres for those in the old language. 360 mil annual rainfall area on the yeah, lower eastern uh, side of the peninsula. Uh, continuous crop since 1983. Uh, then moved to minimum till, uh, that was a minimum till with a prickle chain. Uh, moved to no till knife point system in 2003 and then uh, the zero till 
single disc machine you mentioned in, in 2015. So uh, we moved to a 12 metre CDF system uh, and rotation generally consists of uh, wheat, barley, lentils and beans and with some canola and lupins in there at times and, and some hay also. So. All right. Well, we are talking to you specifically about your approach to harvest today. Now, uh, we mentioned there in the intro that you are using a Shelbourne stripper front and in combination you're also using chaff decks with that. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what led you to using the Shelbourne stripper front firstly? Yeah. So I guess uh, on the on the Shelbourne side of things, it tends to be a bit of a natural progression for, for many guys with, with disc seeders. So I guess certainly the, the full maximum stubble retention was, was a positive, uh, but also with the disc seeder, the longer straw, keeping that longer straw uh, is obviously thought to help lessen the, the hairpinning, which is a, a common uh, problem for those guys with discs. And on the chaff deck side of things, I guess, a bit of a progression there too, I guess. From windrow burning 10 years ago, 2010, to chaff lining to the chaff decks, and I guess with that, the problems that I found with each of those, with the windrow burn, of course, you're burning all that residue, which was something I was trying to avoid as I went further down the stubble retention side of things. Uh, with the chaff lining, while I'm still collecting chaff, obviously in this system it's deposited onto the chaff, onto the tram lines rather than in a single row in the middle, but starting off with that chaff lining. I had three compromises, I guess. So I had my wheel tracks with a disc seeder, and then I had the, the centre line, which was also a bit of a compromise with, with no decay there and then harvesting lentils and that sort of thing was caused a bit of a, a bulldozing effect with that chaff line, so therefore went to the to the chaff decks with the uh, split factions of chaff out of each, behind each tyre, obviously being driven over, I think definitely helps, helps out with a quicker, with a quicker breakdown, so yeah, that was that yeah, progression. Yeah, okay. okay, interesting. Um, and you're also using a draper front with chaff decks as well, can you just give us a bit of an overview of that and how they how they work? Yep. So yeah, certainly the strippers has the chaff deck when we're reaping, uh, stripping the, the, the wheat and the barley, but the chaff decks are still in operation uh, when the draper belts hooked on for the for the lentils and, and beans and canola and, and such. So yeah, basically chaff is being collected on, on all crops really. So Yeah, excellent. And you've been using this system for two years now. How are you going with the weed seed bank on your property? So second harvest one year of results, I guess, really, from this from this winter, I guess. Uh, first year, only really one year of actually being able, able to validate some sort of results, but probably a bit early to tell, but certainly was encouraged to see a good good collection of, of weed seeds with the Shelbourne stripper front, seeing that at, at seeding and during seeding, since seeding with the germination of, of, of brome grass and, and rye grass and some nice... <laughs> green wheel tracks uh, because of that extra weed seed there so so certainly uh, encouraged by that I guess for many and even for myself in the early days to understand that a stripper to think that a stripper front can collect weed seeds is a bit hard whereas it's easy to understand that you cut it off with a draper front and stick it through the machine but I think it's every bit as effective at collecting weed seeds as a draper front and in some situations I think Possibly the stripper front has a, a greater ability to, to lift those weeds up for, for harvest weed seed collections. So. 
Yeah, so with the stripper front, obviously you're kind of cutting a little bit higher, aren't you? So you are you do you find that you're missing any lower any weeds that are kind of below that level that you're cutting, or are you pretty much getting the majority of them? Depend a little on the crop, I guess. What people may not understand fully is, of course, you are that stripper, that rotor, that drum on the front with the fingers attached is is collecting from a lower level and and circulating. So it is capturing grabbing those weeds from a lower level and then stripping them up until it peels the seed off. So in something like a barley crop, which is obviously is, is lower than a wheat, you are quite close to the deck and those fingers are quite close to the ground. So in a barley crop, for example, I think you can you can be very, very successful at, at collecting all that weed seed. Well, a wheat crop, obviously you are running the machine a little higher because of the extra height of, of, of canopy which means that you are not stripping from quite so high, so they're probably not quite as effective in in wheat, but you can still dig it down in there a little and and peel it up. So, yeah, certainly encouraging and and not as outrightly, not such a downside with the stripper as what people may think, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's a really good explanation, Jamie. And so in terms of any uh, drawbacks, have you found that there are any drawbacks using the system that you're running with at the moment? Yes, there is, I guess. Uh, I show my wheel tracks or my tram lines, trams, whatever you wish to call them, with the disc. And because discs generally don't like sewing into or through chaff, the establishment of those wheel tracks hasn't been fantastic, especially in in wheat stubble where you have quite a large collection of of the wheat chaff or husks, I guess, more so. So that's definitely been... A bit of a compromise, I guess, for me going forward, thinking about the way forward with that has probably been that some residue managers will be fitted on those on those sewing lines where the wheel tracks run for the 2020 seating. And are there any other comments around the system that you would like to make before we wrap it up? I think, it, it, for me, it's just another, another tool, I guess, uh, to add. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it's another useful tool, along with, along with the narrow rows and crop topping of, of legumes and, and some cereals and your pre-emergent rates, double knock, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it's just another useful tool and we have to use everything in our, in our toolbox, I guess. And in terms of uh, moving forward with harvest weed seed control, do you have any intention of changing the system or are you kind of happy with how it is at the moment? In terms of, I, like, would you look at a yeah. weed seed impact meal or anything like that or are you happy I with guess that? they are still, yeah, I guess they are still the ultimate because your residue is still distributed evenly across your cut width and smashed to a, to a smaller uh, manageable level. But, yeah, I guess I'd certainly like to, I guess at this point in time, I still see them on my operation as being slightly cost prohibitive. Mm. Uh, obviously, the benefits are wonderful, but at this point in time, I'll continue with the Chaftex and see where that takes me in the next, in, in certainly in another year of harvest results, I guess. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your farming system story, Jamie. We really appreciate it. And, yeah, great explanation of how it all works. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Jess. Pleasure. Thank you very much to Jamie Phyllis there, Ungara farmer from the Lower Eyre Peninsula. You can actually follow Jamie on Twitter. His handle is at Phyllis Farms. That's at P 
P-H-I-L-L-I-S Farms. So thank you so much for sharing your experience. It's so valuable to hear about farmer experiences. But Pete, I did have a question and I was thinking about this after the interview. I kind of got my head around uh, how the stripper front works and, and Jamie's explanation was excellent. But I still am struggling to imagine how, for example, the weed seeds off like say a ryegrass plant are stripped off when the stripper front is going through. Could you just give a bit of context to how that might work? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good question, Jess. I, I don't exactly know myself. So if we just think about it, the stripper front is those rotating fingers, rotating sort of upwards and ripping the wheat heads or the barley heads off the plant. They're really only used in cereals. And the farmers are finding, and also research by Michael Walsh and his team, uh, and John Broster and so on, finding that it, it, they are good at ripping weed seeds into the front. And so those fingers are getting down into the crop a bit further than you think. But as you sort of are alluding to, Jess, you'd think a, a thin ryegrass head, how is a stripper front ripping that off, mm. ripping that into the front, compared to a big fat wheat head? Yeah. Yeah, so look, I don't exactly know. All I could guess at is that the weed seeds, like the ryegrass heads, are very brittle and dry and the stripper front is hitting them, smashing them and just rotating and sucking them into the front with everything else. And I do know that some of the research and some of the farmer observation is that they're pretty good for brome grass. Brome's got a real habit of sort of uh, lying down or being hit by the comb and and bending down and springing back up after it goes through, whereas the stripper fronts are pretty good at ripping brome grass seeds off the off the stem. So, look, I don't know exactly know how it works, Jess, but the the initial research results are pretty encouraging that we can actually pick up a lot of weed seeds for those fronts. Yeah, no, that's really good to hear. I'd love to see a video of the actual stripper front going through at that level and seeing the actual ryegrass. I know that's probably not available, but if anyone happens to have a slow-mo video of that, definitely DM us. I'd love to see it. But we're going to move on. We recently also did a, speaking of Twitter, we did a survey on on Twitter around harvest weed seed control, and we're going to talk about some of the results we got out of that. Pete, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what people uh, shared in those in those polls that we ran on Twitter? Yeah, I think it was 147 people responded to the uh, survey, Jess, and it just was talking about which harvest weed seed control tools people have used and are planning to use in the future. Uh, I guess the most encouraging thing is uh, back in 2014, about 55% or more percent of these people were doing nothing, and in three years' time, only 4% of people plan to be doing nothing. So there's a big adoption of harvest weed seed control still happening. A lot of people that have done nothing in the past are already doing something and, and a lot more people planning on taking up the tools. And the ones that are probably the big winners, the one that really jumps out at you, is the adoption of the weed seed impact mills. Jess, um, 44% of the respondents, so that's 65 of these 147 people, said in three years' time they'd like to have one of those. So that is a standout. And yeah. chaff lining and chaff decks are probably the other two where there's quite a bit of adoption. Yeah, fantastic results really when you think about it. That short window of time there's been a significant shift in the change towards harvest weed seed control, so very exciting. Yeah, I guess the last thing to mention, Jess, is that windrow burning, which was up at, say, 45% back in 2016, is looking at dropping down to 6% of farmers in three years' time. So that is a good move. We're moving to tools uh, that don't include burning, which has got to be a good thing. 
Yeah, definitely. And when you do speak to farmers, they are very conscious of, you know, the impacts of burning on the wider community as well. And there, there's a real keenness there to move away from that where possible. So, yeah, it's great to see that there's a range of tools now that it can be adopted and they're getting cheaper as time goes on and, and more accessible. So, yeah, it's it's a really good trend to be able to report back on and, yeah, and, and see. So, yeah, exciting space. Pete, we're going to stick with another topical issue for our next interview, but we're going to change gears a bit and speak a little bit more about something a little bit more long-term, and that's grain storage. Now, it's a little bit outside what we'd normally speak about, but obviously the whole purpose of WeedSmart is to get more crop, and more crop means more grain, so grain storage is a really important part of the farming system. And we're going to speak to grain storage specialist Philip Burrell about this in the next interview. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what why this is such an important topic to be across? I guess it's a couple of things. Jess, one is that it's often your seed and there's nothing more important than your seed. And uh, you can take your seed quality for granted, but every farmer that's ever had a seed quality problem knows uh, just how important it is. If you if you have poor germination, there's just no coming back from there. And so really storing seed well for your seed is obviously super important. Uh, but as we'll hear in the interview, there's a whole lot more people storing uh, grain on farm for an extended period and then delivering it uh, slowly through the season or selling it domestically. So seen a big increase in that uh, across the country, Jess. And so with that, there's new skills that people need to take on to make sure that that grain stays in good quality and free of insects and so on uh, while it's being stored. All right, let's take a listen. Today we're chatting with Senior Development Agronomist Philip Burrell. Philip works in the post-harvest grain protection area for the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries in Queensland. He's going to give an overview of some practical tips for getting grain storage right. So thanks for joining us, Philip. How are you going? Oh, very well. Thanks, Jessica. All right, perfect. So let's kick off then. How should growers go about planning their approach to grain storage? I think if we look back a little We've been very professional in the way we do our agronomy on growing the crops, so looking after weed management, you know, nutrition, fertiliser, looking at the field pests. But traditionally, I think if we went back a few years, we were in the habit of you know, harvesting, taking it to the depot, letting them manage the grain or putting some grain in their own storages ourselves and always remember that planting seed, always remind growers, Planting seed that you hold for next season is probably the most valuable grain you'll ever hold. But just coming back to the point, we are very professional as growers in our production of the grain. We just need to finish the job with grain storage and be just as professional in the way we handle the grain. And it's certainly changing. On the eastern seaboard, we've moved to a point where over 50% of the grain produced is held on farm now. So quite a big change in the industry. Western uh, side of things in Western Australia, not that same big shift with CBH, still doing a good job, but you'll still find you're holding planting seed and we just need to finish that job, as I mentioned, with uh, grain storage. So what sort of considerations should growers be making when deciding on a grain storage system? Sure. Well, let's get down to a few of the main points. So just remember, if you get in touch with a good, well-established silo manufacturer, some of them are very good with these sorts of questions, you know, how should I go about planning my storage system? But here's a couple of points. So you need to think long term on this one. What grains, so what type of grains are you going to grow? And the grains that you are 
likely to grow now and in the future, how many segregations are you likely to need? You know, quality segregation. We've all unfortunately struck seasons where we've had weather damage partway through, say, wheat or barley crop or other grains. We need to be able to segregate mm. uh, into the weather damage and non-weather damage. And look, so the, the practical side of that question is, should I have one large, you know, 1,200 tonne flat bottom silo or five cone-based silos? Yeah. Or more likely for many growers, it's a mix of the two. So that's one. Uh, another point, you know, the site for grain storage needs to have all-weather access for transport trucks, obviously. Room for truck movement and room for future expansion with further silos in the future. Power supply to the site, you know, really important. If you're going to be holding a reasonable amount of grain, you need uh, you know, reasonable power supply. It could be three-phase, single-phase. Just be aware of that. But as I mentioned, if you associate with some of the better established Solar manufacturers, they'll take you through a lot of these, but yeah, so that's some of the points in the, uh, can, that should be considered in the early phases of on-farm storage. Okay, yeah, very interesting and, and great points there, Philip. So if a grower does go down that path of investing in on-farm grain storage, what kind of considerations need to be made around maintaining and managing that system? If anyone had a pencil in hand, one of the four dot points I always come to with with my workshops with both advisors and uh, growers are these four points. So firstly, we really have got to be in the habit, as I say, of managing the whole storage system professionally. And around that, firstly, is monitoring the grain every month. So we should be using a sieve, getting a sample and using insect probe traps. And as part of that, when we are looking for pests, we're also examining the grain quality in the storage. We keep storage records. It's becoming a much bigger aspect of providing grain buyers uh, with the confidence we really know and manage, know how to manage our storage on farm. So mo- monitoring and records is number one. Number two, this hasn't changed, and most growers are well aware of this, good hygiene. So with all your actual silos or grain sheds or grain pads, good hygiene in the storages, the empty silos need to be cleaned out promptly, the grain handling equipment, your augers, trucks, chaser bins, any grain dryers or grading equipment, there's good practices around ensuring insects are not breeding in the old residues in some of those sites. Uh, The last thing we need is to start the harvest, putting fresh, clean grain off the paddock, which hasn't got weevils, uh, into a silo which right from day one has weevils because we haven't done our hygiene. So number two, no, so number three, uh, aeration cooling. I, I really am very keen to see right throughout Australia, you know, even on the coastal areas, but particularly inland as well, uh, aeration cooling, use, uh, using those little fans or large fans on the bigger silos to both cool down the grain right from the first day after harvest and that has a wonderful impact on both helping reduce the, uh, making the life cycle much longer for the pests so it really puts a lot of downward pressure on the breeding capability of the insect pests in the grain plus 
does wonderful things for managing the quality and holding the quality of the grain itself, be it oil seeds, cereal grains or pulses. So it's get good advice around it, but it's well worth adding those fans and the ducts and the vents on the silos to ensure you getting a good airflow to do effective cooling of grain. Yes. And finally, one that uh, has a very, in recent years, has uh, become extremely important. I know the Western Australian people have been on top of this for many years, is the fumigation. So for any live pests in grain, the only option is fumigation. And so we need to ensure if we're going to uh, invest in silos or any storages, we consider how will we fumigate that effectively. And for silos, the thing to look for when purchasing is to ensure they meet the Australian standard AS2628, which is a very simple pressure test that growers can do as well as the silo manufacturer that ensures basically that we can effectively fumigate in that silo because it is can be made gas tight when it's sealed up. Is there anything else around this topic that uh, you'd like to leave us with, Philip, before we... Well, I think the best thing is just realise that when you're investing in storage or planning storage, those decisions you make around the silos or storages you purchase are with you, not just for, you know, like when we purchase a working ute or a tractor, we might have it for, what, 10, 15 years maximum. A silo or storage system you're going to live with for 30, 40 years. Yeah. So, well worth doing your homework and seek good advice before you start spending money on storage. And just the two systems that I'd point people to to get uh, advice. Number one, there's a GRDC have a hotline that goes to the three um, extension advisors on storage in Australia. So there's Ben White based in Western Australia, there's Chris Warwick down in Victoria, and myself in Queensland that does the northern area, and 1-800-WEEVIL. So if they ring 1-800-WEEVIL, it comes straight to one of our uh, mobile phones and we're more than happy to provide advice. And lastly, the website that we put mm-hmm. most of our information on is storedgrain, one word, storedgrain.com.au. Very helpful site for people to look for videos and notes and all sorts of information as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Philip, for giving us all that valuable information. We really appreciate it. Uh, pleasure. Help any time and ring that number or go to the website. I'm sure you'll find lots of uh, useful information. Thank you. Thank you very much to Philip Burrell there, our grain storage specialist who joined us on the podcast today. Really appreciate all those valuable uh, comments that he made and tips around grain storage. It's obviously yeah, a really important uh, area, isn't it, Pete? It certainly is, Jess, and particularly now. like I found it really interesting in that interview that Philip told us that I think he said 50% of grain is held on farm on the East Coast, Jess, which uh, blew me away. I didn't realise it was uh, quite that high. I knew that it had increased over the years, but that's that's a lot of grain. Certainly not the case in WA. Um, we don't have a lot stored on farm in Western Australia, but, yeah, very interesting to hear there's a lot more of that going on on the East Coast and, and therefore a range of storage solutions that go with it. 
Definitely. Well, thank you so much to Jamie Phyllis, who was our farmer from Ungara in the Lower Eyre Peninsula, who shared his story about his farming system. Really appreciate him taking the time to have a chat with us. And also, yeah, to Philip Burrell again for giving all those tips on grain storage. Now, don't forget to be following us on Facebook and Twitter and head to our WeedSmart website as well and subscribe to the blog. Really important to be able to keep up to date and in the loop with all our articles, lots of things going on. And and we also love to hear from you on Twitter too, don't we, Pete? We do, Jess. And I reckon a great thing at the moment would be to hear from farmers that have weed seed impact mills on their harvesters. So this is a big year for the seed impact mills because we've got a lot of them out there and we've just, fingers crossed, for that reliable harvest, Jess. So we'd really love to hear your stories of those mills, uh, good, bad or otherwise, and uh, and let us know how you're going if you've got one of those on your machine. So just tag Weed Smart, perhaps, in your tweet and, uh, and yeah, be good to have a discussion with you all. Definitely. All right, thank you so much, Pete, for joining me and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Jess.